This is episode 20 of Alohomora for January 13th, 2013. Everybody, welcome to our first show of 2013. We're starting Prisoner of Azkaban. I'm Noah Freed. I'm Kat Miller. I'm Caleb Graves. And I'm Rosie Morris. And guess what? We don't have any ca- we don't have any comments from last week because that was our live show, and we're just starting with a new book. So yay! We finished with two books. We're restarting with the the four main hosts on the show. Yeah, I'm really excited about Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, me absolutely. Um, me too. Psyched. My favorite book. Um, we just also want to first say a huge thank you to everyone who joined us for our live show recently. Um, it was really awesome. So much better than our first live show. And um, we, of course, want to send another huge thank you to Warwick Davis for joining us um, for the movie chat. It was re- really great having him on board. Um, and just a quick reminder to everyone out there that... Um, to download and listen to the live show episode. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff on there. And in the archive section for um, the podcast on our website, there is a chat transcript uh, that we had with Warwick. Some of the questions we asked him and his answers. Some really cool questions. So be sure to check it out. Including a fun picture that he sent us uh, kind of just for us of him sitting at his computer. So you should check that out. Yeah. So that was definitely that was definitely Warwick Davis on the call. It definitely was. Because he showed yep. us proof. Great. Yep. <laughs> right. Hey, Harry. Working on that potions I say for Monday? Uh, it's due Friday, Ron. What? No, you're pulling my leg. Hey, Harry. Doing that I think quite early, aren't you? See? It's not due until next Monday, right, Seamus? Um, I thought it wasn't due until the Monday after next. Well, I already did mine. Because it's due Thursday. What are you talking about, Pavati? It's still on Monday. No, no, no. no it is it's still on Thursday. What is going on here? I'm trying to do my charms homework. Hermione, when's that potions essay due? Friday. Next Monday. No, it's two weeks. Hold on. Let me check my calendar from MuggleNet. It has all kinds of important dates, such as future conventions, birthdays, and important events in the wizarding world. Yeah, but what about homework? Ah, here we are. Yes, I thought so. That essay is due... Tomorrow. Start 2013 off right with the new MuggleNet fandom calendar. Each month features photos and drawings from various corners of the Harry Potter fanbase, as well as historical dates from all seven Harry Potter novels, and Harry Potter birthdays for characters, actors, and your favorite MuggleNet staff members. Visit MuggleNet.com to preview the calendar and get your own copy today. Okay, so I have one last question for you all before we embark on the next book. Are you ready to open the Dumbledore? Yes. I mean, I guess so. Everybody say it with me. All the fans out there, just get ready. (laughs) Get pumped. Okay. Without further ado, Prisoner of Azkaban. I got to say, guys, I read the first two chapters. I thought it was okay. I think it's an okay book, but I I don't know if I want to keep going. (laughs) What? (laughs) No. Psych, in truth, this book is awesome. This is one of my favorite books. Um, also one of my favorite movies, but we'll get to that at the end of the at the end of the reread when we do our live show. But I'd just like to give you guys my first impressions. We're gonna cover the the synopsis of the British edition and the American edition, and also look at the book dedication. So just starting with the synopsis, we have the US synopsis. Let me read it to you. For twelve long years, the dread fortress of Azkaban held an infamous infamous prisoner named Sirius Black. 
Convicted of killing 13 people with a single curse, he was said to be the heir apparent to the Dark Lord, Voldemort. Now he has escaped, leaving only two clues as to where he might be headed. Harry Potter's defeat of you-know-who was Black's downfall as well. And the Azkaban guards heard Black muttering in his sleep, He's at Hogwarts. He's at Hogwarts. Harry Potter isn't safe. Not even within the walls of his magical school, surrounded by his friends. Because on top of it all, there may, there may be a traitor in their midst. Wow. So my first impression of that synopsis is it, it's this very epic story um, with a lot of... Maybe it was just my reading voice, but it had a lot of power in it. What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, it's totally just I mean, your reading voice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so much more dramatic than the British synopsis, though. It Rosie, makes it sound be... a lot more gripping. Do you have the Do you have the British synopsis with you? I think you. Should I read do. Shall I read it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Harry Potter, along with his best friends Ron and Hermione, is about to start his third year at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Harry can't wait to get back to school after the summer holidays. Who wouldn't if they lived with the horrible Dursleys? But when Harry gets to Hogwarts, the atmosphere is tense. There's an escaped mass murderer on the loose, and the sinister prison guards of Azkaban have been called to guard the school. A fantastic new story featuring Harry and his friends from the spellbinding J.K. Rowling. And that's it. Wow. <laughs> that's so different. I think those different, uh, well, one, one of course is from Bloomsbury, the publisher in, uh, in England, and the other one is from uh, Scholastic. So this actually, again, gives us a sort of look into what the different cultures are and what appeals to readers or children in, in the different countries. It but seems I mean, to me that the U.S. one is ridiculously intense and the other one is not. I think it's but, also a time thing. When was Prisoner of Azkaban released in the U.S. for you guys? October 1999. Okay. But I think it's that was the same year as the U.K. for the first time, I think. You guys had the other books later. Right. Right. Um, yep. So maybe just, you know, the hype around the series had gotten a lot bigger by the time you guys were getting the books published. So that kind of lives up with the the blurb on the back, whereas ours, it was kind of still slowly building. Um, it was still kind of people who have read the previous books rather than people coming to this one straight away. Um, so that might be that, might explain why there's a difference. That makes a lot of sense. Well, and we know that Joe wrote them both, right? So, I mean, I didn't we kind of come to the conclusion last time that Americans need more... Um, Wait, did she write them or did a publisher write them? No, I think it's been said that she definitely writes them. Oh, we got a fact check on that. <laughs> I think we did for Chamber, if I remember correctly. Who's going to be your fact checker? I don't know. Someone should look it up. But then Hold we come on. to the conclusion that Americans need more of like a... You need more reason to read. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. We, we always come to that conclusion, but it's very disheartening for me, an American reader. Yeah. Well, obviously, the you know the four of us love books, and most of the people I would assume that are listening to this love books and don't need a reason to read. But the average person, you know, who doesn't probably read all that often, would need something like this to pick up a Harry Potter book, especially if they've heard that they're for kids and they're an adult. Yeah, I just I just feel like the American synopsis has so much more action to it, and that's what really draws kids or American kids more so. And the way the synopsis in, in England reads is like, this is a work of brilliant fiction. And maybe that that get, that brings kids, but also brings um, older generations of people. And maybe they thought that at this point, at least in the United States, um, older generations of Americans were going to pick up these books. It was going to be just kids. 
Well, and that holds true for the covers as well. I mean, we'll get to that after we finish the book, but we've, you know, again, for, for the last couple books, have figured out that the American covers give more away. They have to look more epic in order to get, you know, people to pick it up. Yep. I have to say that the British covers of of Prisoner of Azkaban is one of my favorite covers of the series, the back cover especially. Um, which, if you want the kind of the drama and the the gripping nature of it, we've got a it's, kind of a uh, creepy serious. black dog looking like the Grim on the back. So I think that's intriguing enough to get people to read. Right. Oh yeah. Right. All right, and uh, there is the book dedication at the very beginning, which I want to briefly talk about. It is to Jill Pruitt and Anne Kylie. Is that is that the pr- pronunciation? Hi. Rosie, you might know better. I don't, I'm afraid. I'm guessing Keeley for the surname, but I so don't Jill know about Jill Pruitt the and Anne Keeley, the godmothers of swing. Um, and if you just read that without the without the information behind it, you probably are a little lost, but you can find that on MuggleNet. And actually, we found that Jill Pruitt and Anne Keeley were J.K. Rowling's flatmates when she lived in Portugal. They used to visit a club restaurant called Swing regularly. Because they spent so much time there, Joe called themselves its godmothers. Thank you. That's and that's a random fact on MuggleNet that we have. Yeah, where can they find those if someone wanted to read all those? They can find those in the little things section on MuggleNet. And uh, big things are going to happen to the little things when I get my hands on them in a couple of months. <laughs> Ew, so, no one. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> Caleb. I think he's been fact checking. <laughs> Caleb, have you have you dug up any facts? No, I can't find it. Someone else going to have to. Oh. Well, you, well, if you need facts, head over to MuggleNet's Little Things section. <laughs> someone, <laughs> I'll be sure to do that. Yeah. I'm sure someone will write into us and tell us we're either right or wrong, per the use. Yeah, yeah. But going back to the dedication, it's a really appropriate um, phrase for this book where, you know, we discover Harry's godfather for the first time. So here Joe That's is true. thanking oh. godmothers. Excellent oh. connection. I was just about to say, can anyone find any connections to Swing Dance and Prisoner of Azkaban? <laughs> so do we th- do we think this this club called Swing is called Swing because there's a lot of swing dancing, or is there another reason? Oh, the other definition of swing. You think Joe was a swinger? <laughs> oh, no, I wasn't even going there. You did that, Noah. But, you, you totally um, set me up. <laughs> oh, no, I was just thinking, like, I was more thinking if Joe's, like, a really good swing dancer or not. Oh, that would be a question to ask her when she comes on the show. Right. Never, right? <laughs> there got to be videos somewhere. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> that that about wraps up my synopsis. But I'm really, I'm really uh, getting, re- I'm really excited to get into this book because, as Rosie said, it is one of my favorites. Yeah, that yep. really psychs me up. That synopsis. Woo! Great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump right into the chapters this week. Chapter one. Owl Post. So to start off with Owl Post, we've we've obviously discussed Owl Post so many times throughout all of our episodes, but this is the first time we've got a whole chapter named after it. So yay! <laughs> all right. Um, we start off with Harry stuck at the at the Dursleys, almost at midnight, trying to do his homework under his blankets in his bed. And it says that Harry really wants to do his homework, which, you know, is a little bit strange, seeing as when he's at school, he never wants to do his homework. But as soon as you're away from Hogwarts, obviously, the only bit of magic you're allowed to do is the bits that you're reading about. So makes it a little bit more important, I guess. Well, Rosie, how much uh, do you happen to know how much magic you can actually do with your homework? I'm not I'm a little fuzzy on that myself. 
<laughs> I just mean that you're not allowed to perform any <laughs> magic, so to study it, you'd have to read the books. Okay. She's not going to tell us all the secrets of the Wizarding World, Noah. Of course not. She's from, statute of she is from England. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, Harry wants to do his homework, so he builds a little blanket fort out of his bedding, which is obviously the best place to study magic. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> And the essay he's actually focusing on at the moment is called Witch Burning in the 14th Century Was Completely Pointless. Discuss. And I think it's quite a nice little bit of con- contextualization, bringing the, the Potter world and our world back into kind of synchronicity, um, where he's looking at our very own history. Yeah, I've always thought Joe's done a really good job of that. And yeah, blending she... the two worlds, yeah. And she's going to yeah. connect to the Egyptian tombs later and talk about the curses on the old, like tombs and stuff yeah right but right now she's talking about a witch named Wendelin the weird who was caught 47 times um during the witch trials and burnt all of these times um so that she could enjoy the the tickling sensation that she gets when putting a frame a flame freezing charm um okay she she has a problem yeah she seems a little odd right hey let's not judge we don't know (laughs) It's true. It just I'm seems totally a little excessive, her. you know? Why not just go and stand in your own fire with a flame-freezing charm? Why do you have to get caught all the time? And, and well, what, type of, what type of disguises do we think she was using? Was she so like, the dis- yeah. Well, the disguises is, are the reason why she wants to get caught so many times. She enjoys being tickled by the fire just as much as dressing up. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> That's your answer, Rosie. she a drag queen? Was she a metamorphagus? Yeah, that's, I guess, more what I was thinking. Was she burned because she was a dragon? <laughs> because those are the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Harry is doing his homework. <laughs> and he's actually still writing with a quill, despite being at home at Privet Drive in a muggle world. And it just makes me think, you know, why is he still trying to use ink and quill when he could be using a biro or a fountain pen? Surely yeah, it would be easier. I wondered that too. I wonder if they're, you know, required to use a quill for some silly reason. He just wants to be as close to the setting of Hogwarts as possible. But why does Hogwarts use quills? I'm guessing it's meant to be like some kind of mechanical thing is not working with the ink pens, but it's a bit strange. Quills are so hard to use. Well, there's something special about this quill, it seems, because Rosie, at least in my edition, there's this one line, it says, the quill paused at the top of a likely-looking paragraph. <laughs> Isn't that... So does that mean that the... I don't think the, the quill game. itself pauses. I think Harry it, pauses with the quill in his hand. <laughs> it is not alive, Noah. Don't is, it alive? <laughs> is it alive? Is it alive? It's not like a quick quote quill. That's but it said book. it paused at the top of a likely-looking paragraph. Did Harry pause that quill, or did it pause in his hand because it knew that that's what Harry needed for his essay? And is it do alive? Do you guys... Noah, when you're studying, do you <laughs> hold a pen or a pencil and scan the words with your pen, and then pause when you get to something that you read that's interesting? Because that's what he's doing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was an art student, so I didn't read books, really. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so that that ends uh, that ends a special featured section that I've just created. Is it alive? In which <laughs> I pose, is it alive? And then you got we decide, and we've decided that it's not. No, it is not. That is just a trick of the words. Yeah. Yes. Really right. glad we were able to work through that. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of this chapter is actually kind of a recap of stuff that anyone who's read the other Potter books would already know. But if you're coming to Prisoner of Azkaban for the first time, you get just a little recap of. Um, Harry's past and his history 
Um, so you get a little bit of information about his parents and how he came to be with the Dursleys and the relationship between the two families. Um, and we learned that the Dursleys have actually forbidden him to talk to the neighbours and locked all of his spell books and broomsticks and things um, away in the cupboard under the stairs for the summer holidays. And it just makes me think, you know, Harry really doesn't like Privet Drive. He has no friends there. Why would he bother trying to talk to the neighbours? Why bother forbidding it? Just to make him unhappy. There's a lot of excessive nature around the Dursleys. Like, they do things that they really don't need to just to make his life unpleasant. And they, be- and they beat him, of course. Oh. I really don't think he do. He- they do, and we will get to that later on because there's a little bit in this <laughs> chapter that I wanted to point out to you. But, I mean, they're <laughs> excessive people anyway. I mean, look at all the things that they have, the the food that they eat, the way they treat their son. It's just, that's part of their personality. That's true. And yeah. we see that in great detail now as the Dursleys actually go outside to look at their new company car and talk about it in loud voices so that their neighbours will hear. These Meanwhile, are the people I want to punch whenever I pass. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Like in everyday life. Yeah. Meanwhile, Harry has become a lockpicking extraordinaire. I'm guessing that these are tricks that he's picked up from the Weasley twins. Um, yes. And he manages to unlock the cupboard under the stairs and get all of his spellbooks that he needs. So, you know, but, who but, needs Alohomora? But when did he practice that? I have that no is, idea. That is hard. Picking a lock is hard. Yeah. Especially I mean, it's if it's just like sort of like all of a sudden he's a lockpicking expert. Boom, he's got his books done. Right. <laughs> No, I, I do think Fred point. and George taught him, and he's probably picked the locks around the, the Dursley home many times. I mean, how many times have they locked him in a cupboard or just locked food away or something, you know? But that's the point, because when yeah. they did used to lock him in cupboards, he would never be able, never be able to get out. Right. That's so, so sad. So he's learned things in the last couple of years. He's Not all this isn't just a school for magic. Aw, our little boy's growing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Getting into mischief. <laughs> So next we find out that Harry had actually given Ron and Hermione his phone number when he left Hogwarts this year. So over the summer, Ron has attempted to phone him. Why would Harry ever consider this as a good idea? Because surely he would know that the Dursleys wouldn't be happy with Harry getting calls from anyone, let alone wizards. And it also kind of dates the story slightly because, you know, now all little kids would have a mobile phone, surely. Would they? Quite a lot of kids, at least in England, would, at the age of 13, would be getting a, a mobile themselves. But, but at this point in the like the year, because what, Harry's 13, so it's 1993. Yeah, it, that's what I said. It, it dates the story slightly. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. I, I just think I, I wish we had seen this part in the movie. And this was one of the one things that I really wanted to see in the movie. I just think it would have been hilarious. Yeah. It is a shame it, how much of the kind of interaction with the Dursleys gets cut out. It's me, yeah, Ron Weasley. I'm a friend of Harry's from school. There is no Harry Potter here. He roared. That's Ron Dursley. It's just great. <laughs> very, I think it's even good. more bombastic than that. It's way more bombastic, but I I'm, I have a slight cough. Yeah, I don't I want to get yeah. more bombastic, mm-hmm. I would... Uh, and we don't want to be shouting at people who are listening to this podcast. <laughs> That's true. So we do often. <laughs> well, they shout back at us, so. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so he, we then get the little bit of description that says that the, the row following this phone call was one of the worst rows ever between Harry and Vernon. But all we see is Vernon yelling. 
And, you know, Harry doesn't seem too upset afterwards. So it just makes me point out that if this is one of the worst rows that they've ever had, he's not been beaten. If the worst thing that's ever happened in this house is Vernon yelling at him after this phone call, then, you know, he's had a better life than you guys seem to think. Where does it say that it was one of the worst? Hold on. It's a little description after the phone call. Let me find it. The row that followed had been one of the worst ever. Yeah, that's row, not row. I think it's row, Rosie. It's (laughs) (laughs) R-O-W. But I I believe you. How dare you give this number to people like... People like you. So yeah, if it was the worst that followed, that, you know... Yeah. But didn't we come to... Didn't too bad. Didn't we come to the conclusion, though, that Petunia's most likely the one that generally hits Harry? Not with Vernon. her cooking utensils, slapping him with the spatula. Exactly. I mean, honestly, corporal pun- punishment is all over these chapters. The idea that they yeah, don't, that they don't actually physically abuse him to some degree is is ludicrous, in my opinion. Um, there's even the line on page eight: they were muggles and they had a very medieval attitude towards magic. This is after we were talking about medieval people burning witches and wizards. So the reason that she used that word medi- medieval there is because. You know, to illuminate the fact that it's a kind of a violent interaction between them, and not only violence, as we've you know talked about on many with many people in the forums, it's also this uh, psychological torment. In fact, in the sense of them not speaking to Harry at meal times and different things, and just completely ignoring him, which is a different kind of torment. Which some people in the forums were saying was even worse than like actually beating someone. Yeah. So there. Another thought. This is when this is when Vernon Dursley has the phone, and he threw the receiver back onto the telephone as if dropping a poisonous spider. That's Vernon Dursley talking to Ron. Ron hates spiders. Mm. Oh, good one. Good connection. Good connection, Noah. Yeah. Very I good. almost wonder if like Joe doesn't even realize that she does that, and because she's so brilliant, that line just like came subconsciously oh, as she wrote it. Probably. I'm sure. Yeah. Because she aligns spiders with uh, with Ron, at least in terms of his not liking them. Right. Yeah. Also weasels, of course. Right. Basically, what I was saying was that uh, the idea that on page eight, connection of there's one line that says they were muggles and they had a very medieval attitude towards magic. Yes. Um, and this is when previously Joe had written about how during medieval times Harry's writing this essay, witches yes. and wizards were burned, and there's also corporal punishment throughout these chapters, making me think that <laughs> Harry was beat to some degree. Definitely. That's but then again, not it was also psychologically mean. damaged. I completely disagree. I think the medieval attitudeness means that they are afraid of magic and they think it should be stamped out, but not necessarily through violence towards children. Well, they did say, they do keep saying squash the magic out of them. And how do you squash unless you. It's you know, a metaphor, Noah. <laughs> a metaphor. Well, my college taught me to take metaphors literally, so. <laughs> what college do you go to? <laughs> right. <laughs> Please give me the email addresses of your professors. <laughs> no, they're geniuses. But the, but the idea is that metaphors, even if they're they, with their wild connections, there's more of a reason for that metaphor, for that choice of a metaphor besides the connection. Sure, to get that, that meaning across, but it also has different effects that go along with it. This and is those true. are interesting. But I still think they want to get rid of his magic, not necessarily him. They don't want to kill their nephew. <laughs> I know they don't want to kill them. They they care about him, or at least, you know, Petunia. Yeah. Okay, so 
We have seen that Harry has now gone five long weeks without any contact with the Wizarding World. Um, but luckily he is allowed to let Hedwig out at night for the first time. Um, because she has made such a racket being kept in her cage that Vernon has finally allowed her to be flying free like owls normally do at night time. And we discover that the time is now one o'clock, which means that Harry has turned 13. And yet again, we are seeing him for the first time um, on his birthday in this book. Um, so, you know, warning, teenage angst imminent. Harry is now a teenager. We get a quick recap of Harry's appearance, where he has jet black hair, green eyes, all of the usual stuff before it focuses in on Harry's scar. Um, and we get a nice little recap of the events of Voldemort's fall, which are extremely interesting in the context of this book for the first time, really, because, you know, if we've had that information before, it's not really mattered too much within what's going on at that very moment. But with this book, we get a lot more detail about what happened on that night, thanks to the the story of how Sirius got arrested. Um, so to get that much detail in this tiny little recap, I think is quite important. What do you guys think? Yeah. In general, though, how did these how did these recaps fall on you? Just uh, just various sentences. Like we we've we know the story so well. We've read the books, but did you find yourself wanting to skip through? Or no, I, I thought that this one was actually short enough and it was well written and it was a good synopsis of what had happened in the first two books i mean obviously like the major details aren't there but um it's enough to get somebody through you know reading this book knowing very little so yeah i agree yeah i mean uh, there's some form of recap in every one of the books i believe yeah no there definitely is but this is the first one that's been kind of um, shortened deeply well yeah just yeah. compared to chamber it's very succinct compared to it right exactly then we well, then we have the scene of the three owls coming with errol hedwig and uh, an unknown tawny owl but poor errol he has been forced to he has a large package attached to his uh attached to his little leg and hedwig and this this unknown owl who were coming to harry anyway to give him uh to give him mail they had to, they had to, I, I guess, rescue him because they were both on either side of him carrying him, you know, and, and all that Harry could see was this lopsided thing coming straight from the moon. But my thought is if you strap a, a huge like package on an owl, do they literally have to take it? Because at least for Errol's sake, it looks like this package was too much for him. And, you know, I just have to call it animal abuse on this one, <laughs> or, at least, or at least owl abuse. Well, that's his job. I mean, thank goodness that you know, Hedwig and the other Tawny Owl were there to save him. But I mean, that's his job. But my question is, if you have a bad, if you're a bad owl owner and you give this massive package to your owl and just tie it to their leg, do they have to like just fly that across? Well, how do we know it was a massive package? It says that it was too big. Let me, let me show you the line. No, it doesn't. It does. There was a large package tied to its legs. Okay. <laughs> that, that was so anticlimactic. Right, that doesn't say that it was too big or too heavy for Errol. Through the window, through the window soared three owls, two of them holding up the third, which appeared to be unconscious. They landed with a soft flump on Harry's bed, and the middle owl, which was large and gray, keeled right over and lay motionless. I mean, that happens when Errol tries to stretch his wigs. <laughs> I know. So. Poor He's Errol. just an old dude, that's all. It's cool. Yeah, but for whatever, but let's... Do you think that Errol would have been able to make this package trip without the help of the other owls? No. No. What do you think would have happened to Errol if Hedwig and the other owl weren't coming to 
rescue him and go to Harry's place anyway. <laughs> Arrow would have died, Cat. That's right. <laughs> and that he might have had to stop a few times, maybe. Yeah, stop. that's it. Maybe it's... just imagine him stopping and like huffing and puffing for thirty minutes trying to get him back together. <laughs> right, right. He's like well, the post office. He just took his time. He's yeah. unconscious yeah. anyway. Especially the English post office. It takes a while. Well, oh, the U.S. post office isn't any better. Trust me. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> you know what? You guys are making light of a very, very serious issue. So yes, okay. No. I'm going to hand it off to Rosie again. Um, so yeah, so Errol and the owls are delivering Harry's first ever birthday cards, um, which struck me a bit as a bit odd because didn't we see him get some last year? Even if we, he never actually got given them, because Dobby stole all of his letters the summer before. Yeah, makes me think. You know what? What has Dobby done with his post? Well, he gave it to he him, r- didn't he? I thought he had, but that's what I thought. But if if he ha- if he never got those birthday cards, then perhaps not. You think I mean, Dobby? Just- I guess maybe it's just that technically these are his first birthday cards he got on his birthday correctly. Right. Maybe yeah, that's yeah. probably it. And you know, Dobby. Just- Otherwise, Dobby might have put them like in a little Harry Potter shrine. I was yeah. just thinking that he's got a little shrine <laughs> with all the little correspondences back and forth. <laughs> Wait, and- can you imagine? He's got like a little like altar in his room with a little picture of Harry and. I don't know. It's so He's sweet. got the used chewing gum, the the old the hair Ew. that he pulled out of Harry's head. You know, like that's a little crazy. <laughs> Bit too yeah, far. A little, little too far. Oh, no, too far. Too far. Okay. Oh. Per the usual with you. All right. I know, okay. some gr- I know some girls like that. God. Ew. <laughs> that's creepy. Yeah. Anyway, um, Rosie, what if, in these sections? I th- I thought each one of them showed a different, like, unique attribute to the owls. I don't know if you're already going to talk about this, but. These owls have tons of personality, and the tawny owl, we learned, comes from Hogwarts, and it, like, shuffles its feathers with this authority. The, the exact line is it yeah. ruffled its feathers importantly. Hedwig gives Harry an affectionate nip, and, well, an arrow's unconscious, but it just seems like all of these <laughs> owls are characters in a way, as if they've, on, they've almost yeah. become human, humanoid figures, because they have... Hu- well, we definitely see that with, with Harry's relationship with Hedwig throughout the books and the movies, in fact. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a line in this chapter that says... Um, when when Hedwig has been missing for for two weeks, I think it is that she's the only thing um, in the house that only living creature in the house that doesn't flinch at the sight of him. I mean, these owls are they have human personalities almost, um, and they've often been been called kind of the wisest bird. Rose, Rosie, though, to your point, um, how much do you, do you think it's just these these magical creatures, or do you think all owls in in the wizard world, Muggle world, have this ability to uh to connect with wizards and witches or do you think maybe because harry is a wizard he, he's more sensitive to owls or Wait. he can even talk to animals we went over this last time noah owls are dumb <laughs> this they're only this brilliant in the wizarding world so yeah in, in our world owls and, and creatures might not be as clever as yeah. in harry's world but no, no, within of course of course that of course owls are I'm, I'm talking about owls in the book not owls in real life yeah Within the book, I mean, we see so many creatures that are kind of given more intelligence than we would necessarily attribute to them within our own world. Um, right. I mean, cats and dogs and all, all sorts of creatures um, have these personalities that allow them to become, you know, good friends with with wizards. But my, my, um, my question is, uh, very specifically, is because Harry is magic, does he have some affinity or ability to communicate or... Yeah, yeah, to better communicate with animals than a muggle could in in J.K. Rowling's universe. J.K. What? Yes, J.K. Rowling's not- universe. The question. Just focus <laughs> on the question, Kat. 
<laughs> yes, but not because of his magic necessarily. I think uh, the Muggle community within Joe's world um, is very kind of intro focused. It's it it doesn't like to see what's really there, so it ignores magic. It ignores intelligence in creatures other than humans. Whereas within the Wizarding world, it pays a lot more attention to a lot more kind of a lot more of the natural world around it. Um, in a very kind of pagan way. So it, it gives more attention to the personalities of individual animals and therefore we see them more. Does that make sense? Yeah, but so, I, I wonder if uh, if there are certain... Cre- it's not. He's not Dr. Doolittle. I'm, I'm wondering <laughs> so if you're saying people. if I focus on the natural world, I can't talk to my dog. Bummer. I think, well, do you talk to your dog as a normal person anyway? Always. Exactly. And your dog kind of responds to you in some ways, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. People who have pets build this relationship and it's the same way that you know these wizards do yeah but my my specific theory that i'm trying to push us towards is that if you're a witch or wizard in this world you have some innate ability to connect with animals better than everybody else who is not magic that's my sense i think she just answered you by saying that that yes the type of magic in harry's world is very pagan like and and that so yeah in, in terms of his magic being connected with the world around it I mean, we see a lot of kind of water spells, fire spells, elements, you know, it's it's a lot, it's very kind of naturally connected. Um, so we would get that kind of connection and he does pay more attention to the birds and he has that kind of closer um, kind of correspondence with them. So naturally we get to see more of their personalities. Does that make sense? <laughs> so we, we, we see more of Hedwig's personality because we see Hedwig more than we do any other owls in the world around us. Well, true. True. This is just a complex question. I think I might form it into a, a posed question of the week. We'll see. Why don't you start a discussion on the forums? Or I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so in Harry's birthday cards, um, the first one he opens is from Ron and the rest of the Weasleys. Um, and within it, he sees that there is a little newspaper cutting, which Ron has cut out and sent to him, which is quite sweet. Um, where it shows that the Weasleys have gone to Egypt um, to see the oldest of the, the Weasley's sons, um, Bill, who works as a, uh, what is it, a spellbreaker? Cursebreaker, Curse, I think. Cursebreaker. Cursebreaker for Gringotts. And it just, it strikes me that, you know, they've, they've gone to this trip to Egypt because they've won this um, kind of annual prize giving from the, from the ministry, I think it is, um, where they've won 700 galleons. But most of this money is spent on this one holiday, <laughs> which, you know, is, is brilliant. And I think it's a really nice thing to do. It, it brings the family, all, all family together. Um, but wouldn't you want to, you know, put some of that money aside to improve your home life or put some money aside for your kids' futures? Well, I'm wondering... You know, maybe create a little fund to repair all the things that Fred and George break. <laughs> I'm wondering what exactly costs money. Because you can travel yeah. for free. It's maybe... You know, if they bring a tent, That's then they true. can sleep for free. Um, what, like, what are they having to pay for? Well, uh, also, I think it's just like, I think I understand the 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 parents wish to, yeah, they w- get all this money and they could set a lot of it aside, but they probably don't get the opportunity to do something like this for their kids very often. Yeah, and then presented right. that opportunity um, to really just and enjoy can they? It. Can they actually travel for free? I mean, there are so many of the Weasley kids, five of them currently in Hogwarts, 
Um, and they're all underage apart from Percy. None of them have learned how to operate yet. Yeah. And we know that so, flu powder costs a little bit of money. So at yeah, least. Yeah, but they can do side along ap- operation. I mean, there's. True. Is that allowed though with underage wizards other than when Dumbledore takes Harry? Of course never it see is. It. Are you sure? Yeah. Almost what if countries po- have. Positive. What if countries have regulations about. Operating cross country borders. International borders. Yeah. Perhaps. Hmm. That's interesting. There's so much that we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it comes down to the fact that you get this money, you get an opportunity to do something for your kids that you don't often get to, and they do that. Plus, they still set aside some money, at least, to like Ron says that he's going to get a new wand, so they still have right. some expense money. I mean, and that's I what they, I would do. It just seems that it's quite a, a large amount to spend on one trip. It is, what? but I think they care about family so much that they really wanted to spend time with Bill, and this was their this was their prime opportunity. That's true. Yeah, I would have used some of that money to put more food on the table, but I think they <laughs> might be okay with food. Right. I mean, it is kind of a lot if you go seven hundred galleons is approximately seven thousand U.S. dollars, approximately thirty five hundred pounds. So a gallon is a U.S. dollar. No. One galleon. One galleon. One, one galleon. Yeah. Or 700 galleons, in other words, is 7,049 $7, US dollars. Or 3,500 so pounds. It's know? roughly one galleon to $10. Approximately, yeah. And since the. Yeah. That was That's cool. a big exchange rate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't know there was an exchange rate. <laughs> of course there is. It's on the lexicon, of course. So. <laughs> wow. Wait, I wonder... No, they don't have it. It's probably changed in the last 10 years, you know? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yep. Probably more like $50 Oh, now. wow. Yeah. It's 48,601 Swedish krona. That's a lot. Wow. Well, now I we like know. that word, krona. Yeah. Oh, wait. Let's see how many rupees it is. Holy crap. 290,199 rupees. <sighs> see, anyway, just, sorry. <laughs> we can take take your gallons and train them, change them in India. You'll be doing fine. Yeah. If they take them. Proof that we are an international podcast. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Within Ron's letter that he has sent to Harry, he also reveals that Percy is head boy um, oh. for the year approaching. And we see a little picture uh-huh. of Percy where he's wearing a fez, because, you know, fez is cool. Um, and his little horn rimmed glasses, and he's looking very proud of himself. Rosie, what is a fez? Um, and he just. What is a fez? Have you never yeah. seen Aladdin? I have, yeah. I have because I was Aladdin for Halloween. <laughs> have you seen Doctor Who? <laughs> no. Should I watch that show? Okay. You should watch that show. Everyone's telling me to watch that show. Fans of Low of More, if you think I should watch this show, <laughs> let me know. Because I will it, do what everyone's been the, saying. The little monkey, what, Apu, wears a face. Abu. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a joke in Doctor Who where the Doctor puts on a fez and his catchphrase is, fezes are cool. What was that? That, are cool and that little that red thing. hat thing? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a fez. Oh, I love that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what Percy's wearing in this photo. Um, and Ron has also sent Harry a birthday present, which turns out to be a sneaker scope, which is a fun little wizard gadget, um, which tells people when something kind of mischievous is going on in the area. Um, and while Bill says, you know, it will never work, it's just a bit of tourist um, kind of gadgetry, um, 
Ron says that per- that Bill didn't know that Fred and George were putting beetles in his soup at the time. So it's proof that it works. And I love that this, you know, everyone should remember this moment because it comes up later. It does. There's a lot in this chapter that while it appears kind of introductory and mm-hmm. kind of a lot of recapping, there are little details that prove to be extremely important mm-hmm. later on. Mm-hmm. But I have one question for you, Rosie. Yes. Is That's a alive? surprise. Oh my god, Noah. Is it alive? No, it's magic. Wait, we already finished that special feature. Done. <laughs> oh, that special feature just came back in a big way. <laughs> Why does it have to be alive, Noah? Why can't it be mechanical or magic? Oh, I don't know. I'm just I was just asking you. I hadn't really thought it through. I just <laughs> need a question come out there. Anyway, something that is alive is Hedwig, and she had <laughs> tracked down... Do you like that little segue? Um, she has tracked down Hermione, who is currently on holiday in France with her parents. Um, and Hermione writes in her letter that she was worried that she didn't know how she was going to send Harry his present until Hedwig turned up. And Hedwig wanted to make sure that Harry got something for his birthday this year, which is just so sweet. Hedwig is like a little mother figure in an owl. But it's really sweet. You know what stood out to me in this is that... Um, you know, so Hermione says she was worried about how she was going to send it. What if they opened it at customs? And like, yes. this girl, common sense, I feel like sometimes totally escapes her. <laughs> like, she's so book smart that she doesn't think about the normal solution. Like, in the um, in the first book with the whole fire, she's like, I don't yeah. have any wood. He's like, what? <laughs> so it's just another instance that's, of... That's why she's a Gryffindor, not a Ravenclaw. Perhaps. 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 But, you know, she, she could have sent it before she went to France, so it would never go through customs. True. She she does actually live in England. That's true. <laughs> do you guys think that... There's a uh, lot of common sense things. Do you guys think owls have magical lifting abilities such that they can lift more than their <laughs> weight a little bit? I would hope that the wizards that were sending things would be able to put, like, a spell on the item that makes it lighter. Oh. Because we've seen that spell Is th- a couple of times. That's yeah. so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Or do they enchant the owl with super strength? No. No. <laughs> okay. I'm guessing it's harder to enchant uh, an animate object or person or animal than it is to enchant an inanimate object like a broom care kit, which is what Hermione has given Harry for his birthday. Which is a really cool gift. Mm. It is. Totally. I think it's... And especially seeing as Harry was expecting it to be a book, I think it's quite nice as a little bit of kind of proof that she's feeling, you know, she's more relaxed. She's more, she's less into the books right now. She's more into friendship and into Harry's interests, such as Quidditch. Right. Yeah, it is good. And so we go on to see a little bit of a Quidditch recap um, for all of those who haven't read the first two books and don't know what Quidditch, Quidditch is. Um, and then Harry turns to his third present delivered by the third owl, which was we know as a Hogwarts owl, um, because it delivered the, the Hogwarts letter. And Harry tries to open this present, which he knows to be from Hagrid, and it turns out to be the Monster Book of Monsters, which I just, I love this idea of a book that bites back. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> but of course, I have, I have one question with that Monster Book of Monsters. Yes, this one is alive. Oh, that one's actually alive? <laughs> oh really? In a way, partially. Yep. Partially alive. <laughs> what? It's a monster. Like Schrodinger's cat. Schrodinger. Schrodinger's. Schrodinger. It's kind of half dead. You don't really know. Half dead, half alive. Um, or half monster, half book. Half desk pig. Oh, oh god. 
Maybe this is the answer to the desk pig thing. Maybe it's, you know, it's a book that's been transfigured into a monster. So would you eat the monster book of monsters? I mean, I don't eat monsters or books. Oh, so <laughs> That's an easier question. <laughs> I wouldn't eat that. Fans, if you're listening and you would eat the monster book of monsters, please just, you know, Let, Wait, us. let's not even go there. <laughs> <laughs> But I just think it's a brilliant idea that, you know, Hagrid, has, we, we later find out, will be a teacher. And just the idea that even his books would try to eat you is just it's brilliant in terms of Hagrid, Hagrid's character. You gotta eat it um, before it eats but, you. Yeah. Um, and what? I had I another point, but I'm going to leave that for a later chapter because we see these books again. Um, and then we turn to the actual Hogwarts letter, which starts off, as it has done every single time, by saying what day turn starts on and when the train is leaving from platform nine and three quarters. And, you know, surely they know by now. Why does it have to be in every single letter? Well, because someone like Hermione with common sense would know common sense would forget. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. She would just think, oh, it's time to go to Hogwarts. And No, I'm, I'm sure that's not true, but... <laughs> Wait, Tad, are you saying? I just thought that maybe it was McGonagall trying to remind them not to be late after last year when they completely missed the train. It's possible. Cat, are you saying Hermione has no common sense? You've said I, this. I believe that's what I'm saying. Because I think some fans might have might take issue with that. Let them. I'll <laughs> let them bring discuss them on. it in the forums. Is that a challenge? Oh. <laughs> yes. If they believe it is. Okay. <laughs> Included with the Hogwarts letter this year is actually a Hogsmeade permission slip. Um, and we find out that Hogsmeade is the only entirely wizarding village in the whole of Great Britain. Um, and it's available for third years and above to go and visit during certain weekends during the Hogwarts term. Um, and Harry wonders how he's ever going to get the Dursleys to sign his permission slip to let him go and see this village. But he decides that, you know, it's 2am, it's time for bed, and that for the first time in his life, he is a normal boy who is glad that it is his birthday. Aww. Does, does forging not exist in the Wizarding World? You'd think <laughs> so, but maybe there's like some magical spell that can see if it's been forged. Oh, that's probably true. Touché. Yeah. I'm sure Filch would have some way of detecting it. Perhaps. Though not magical, if being Filch. Right. That secrecy sensor or whatever. That probe thing. Yeah. yeah. Probity po probe. Excuse me? <laughs> whatever it was called. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on that note, <laughs> we're going to move to chapter two. <laughs> Aunt Marge's big mistake. I noticed that earlier, Kat. You said aunt. I did. I think it's because I'm from the South and I say an aunt. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. But most people say aunt. I think I'm the weird one with that. Anyway, <laughs> so the the chapter starts out with the Dursleys and Harry eventually around the kitchen table. And the news report is about someone who has escaped. And we hear the name um, Sirius Black. And we don't really know that this is going to be anything important to Harry yet. It just sort of seems like a muggle news story. Um, it's also interesting because Vernon knows he's a bad dude because of his messy hair yeah. <laughs> which is funny because then he sort of you know makes a note to look at harry's wild hair so we get this connection between sirius and harry really early on actually mm-hmm. yeah how, just how bad vernon thinks harry is truly right but um and vernon so the news report finishes up but vernon points out that 
the news reporter doesn't really give enough information on Black's escape. And he has a really good point. Um, doesn't really talk about where the um, prisoner escaped from, where he might be, things like that. And it made me wonder, for these Wizarding World stories that have to be reported to muggles because of their nature, is it similar to where they don't really get all the information that they need? And why is that not further looked into by the muggles? Hmm. Because they don't care, maybe? I don't know. That's tough. I guess that's what's so funny is, like, Vernon does care a lot about this. And it makes sense that he would, like, this escaped convict, and you don't have any idea where he is or where he escaped from. I would think that they're trying not to draw attention to it at the same time as actually, you know, drawing attention to it. Yeah. They're they're trying to say it's all under control um, and that you don't need to be afraid by not telling people enough detail to, to get them to panic. I mean, I don't know if that's how it works in the UK, but in the US, we blow it up all over the place and make it 20 times worse than it needs to be. Yeah, and that's all that's talked yeah. about for a week. Oh, right, so... We we don't tend to do that, especially seeing as... We don't have the same kind of... Um, I don't want to say, like, vigilante culture almost. Like, you guys, your whole gun law thing is so that you can protect yourselves. Right. Whereas we're happy to let others protect us yeah. <laughs> that's what we have our police hit force for oh, yeah. we, we don't we don't think that we need to be protecting ourselves in th- in the same kind of way right um vernon also brings up um his proclivity for the death penalty um yeah he he thinks that people like this black character should be hanged which is really interesting it makes me think about his certain violent nature Caleb, I don't, I don't know about you, but I found this chapter intensely political with all of its, uh, all of its different views from Marge and from Vernon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, There's a lot of get into, woven in. What about when they get into unemployment, too? Yeah, and, yeah, that comes out a little later. Um, yeah. what, what exactly? I don't know the history of the death penalty in the UK. I mean, we don't have to go into detail about it, but what kind of is the history with that over there? Um, as far as I know, it was ruled out a lot earlier than a lot of other places. Um, I, I don't know a lot of it myself, unfortunately. Um, but, um, but, but it is, um, it is illegal, like not illegal. It's yeah. outlawed across the UK, right? Yeah. yeah cert- it, it doesn't happen here at all. Yeah. At all. Cause in certain States in the U S it still does. Right. Different methods wow, are, okay. are allowed in different States and whatever. Right. Yeah. I yeah, mean, th- that's not allowed here at all. <laughs> were you guys were you guys surprised when Vernon talked about it when, when that he that he thinks this and do you think it reveals anything I about his think, character? I think it's another example of Vernon saying something that he wouldn't necessarily support if it actually came to it. Yeah, it's easy to talk about something that's not connected to you. Yeah, um, but if it actually happened within a close circle to Vernon, I don't think he would ever agree with the death penalty. Yeah, it does seem very hollow when he says it. So yeah. It's just one of those things that you say. It is a little bit deep for this book, though. It's a little... Mm-hmm. I was surprised. I remember being like, whoa. Yeah. A little casual. But this is the first book that does start to turn a bit darker. It's I true. mean, the whole of the idea of Azkaban and the prison, which is guarded by your fears, it's it's horrific. Right. Um, Torture. It's worse than the death penalty. Yeah. I mean, in a way, the death penalty parallels uh, the Dementor's kiss in the Wizarding World. Yeah. In a way, yeah. So lots of politics in this book. We'll definitely bring it up again, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And then Vernon mentions that his sister, Marge, is coming to visit 
And um, Harry is obviously very bummed about this because he's not a big fan of Marge. Um, and he recollects some of the experiences with Marge. And the one that stood out to me the most was um, her dog, one of her one of her bulldogs chasing Harry up a tree. And he stayed there past midnight, which is when Marge decided to finally call the dog off. I think this is pretty messed up. I didn't ever really pay much attention to this, but the fact that the Marge and the Dursleys were willing to let make Harry stay up in a tree past midnight because of a dog is pretty outlandish, actually. Also, how'd the neighbors mm-hmm. not notice? Yeah. That's true. It's definitely know, a form me, of abuse. Yeah, what, for me, say, this Kat? even... <laughs> This actually does. This is the one example of. Yeah. This does make me think more and more. This does make me think more and more that he is subject to some forms of abuse. Absolutely. If not physical, I mean, although I agree that he is physically abused, definitely mentally and emotionally and psychologically. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, that's terrible. I'm just saying that that for me. um. I was on your side all along, buddy. All right. I think this is one example of this kind of abuse. Yes, definitely. I would agree that this is abuse. But I do want to point out that this is Marge rather than the Dursleys themselves, even if they don't do anything. Um, and it's the dog. And, yeah, it's it's a horrible situation. Yeah. Poor Harry. Well, they're still, I mean, they are still his, you know, his guardians. And they... Yeah, they should care about him more than they do. But I don't think they would right. personally do something like this if Marge hadn't Well, they there. wouldn't stand up to Marge about it either. So, no. There was well, well even, with, even with all my bullying and beating talk, I still picture it in my head that they would be looking off from the sidelines thinking that this was this was a little much. This was a little too much. Probably. Yeah. yeah. They're, but they're too busy watching, you know, 6 o'clock news or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, then it mentions that Dudley has <laughs> suddenly gotten a new bow tie bringing shame to men's fashion worldwide. Bow ties are cool. <laughs> no, I, I agree. And the fact that Dudley's the one sporting it runs men's fashion. I don't think you can yeah. see it under his chins, though, so it's okay. His five uh, chins. Yeah. Does it say five? It says five twice. I counted. Wow. But, oh. He's catching up with Vernon. Mm. <laughs> um, so Harry um, brings back in the Hogsmeade um, Hogsmeade permission slip. He gets the idea to sort of blackmail Vernon into signing the form, um, threatening that if Vernon does not sign it, he will spill all about Hogwarts and go all out when Marge comes. Um, and there's this little battle between he and Vernon for a little bit. But Vernon um, eventually sort of goes back and says that he will not sign until after if Harry is, quote, good. And, of course, readers are just knowing that this is not going to end well because... For some reason, these things always go wrong for Harry. Yeah, but good for him for finally having some cojones and standing up to the guy. Right. Yeah, he tried. That's mm-hmm. true. Um, he does seem like much more defined all of a sudden mm-hmm. um, in this conversation, and that carries out through this chapter, especially at the end. It's the confidence, but, I because think. Because he's a teenager now. He's 13. <laughs> just now, though. Like, it's his birthday today. <laughs> exactly. Right. And wait, um, and I wanted to bring this up earlier, but didn't get a chance. Do we know when Harry was born? Because I love the line says, like, he'd been... July 31st, 1980? No, I know, like, the time. Because he's, oh. he says that he's been 13 for an hour, and it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Oh, like, yeah. he obviously uh, wasn't born at midnight, so I just... Oh, yeah, no, But we... it's the day. Yeah. It's his birthday. I'm a stickler for that stuff. What can I say? <laughs> he might have been yeah. born at midnight. Maybe. We never know, yeah. yeah. He probably doesn't know, though, because, you know, for 11 years of his life, he didn't even know how his parents died, so he probably didn't doesn't know. That's true. True, true. Yeah. The time he was born. 
I mean, Vernon and Petunia probably don't know either. So that's they true. probably wouldn't want to know. Uh, it's one yeah. of those last tidbits. Yeah. Um. So Harry decides to go off on this plan. Yeah, he's gonna be good for the week that Marge is here. Um, so he can get that permission slip. It's the only thing in his mind. He knows that he needs to sort of get rid of Hedwig, uh, because of the distractions she may cause and attention she may call to herself. And Harry being weird. So she, uh, Harry sends off Hedwig with Errol and off to Ron's. And it made me kind of think, by this point, are Hedwig and Errol BFFs? <laughs> There's been a lot of time together. I mean, you know, Hedwig, you know, make sure Errol makes it along okay. And I kind of like to think that they're just like Biffles always. Wait, is Errol, is Errol a, a guy, Owl? Yes. Yeah. Yes. But there, there's too big of an age difference for that, Noah. Yeah. Are you sure? I was going to say, they're not, they're not together. Are yeah, you sure? Just, I'm sure. Yes, I am sure. I don't know about when that. I ta- when I talked to Errol last week, he told me that that was not going on. <laughs> and he that he missed Hedwig very much, right? He does. It was a really hard subject, actually. Yeah. Guys, I don't know about this. I think there might be something going on here. Doubtful. Mm. If I see more hints of it in the series, I'm going to bring it up. Okay. Do you do that? You keep, an eye, you keep an eye on that. All right. That is your mission. Oh, this, that's the best mission ever. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so Marge finally shows up, and from the description, we suddenly realize that Marge is Vernon's twin sl- sister slash brother. Um, <laughs> and I say brother because of the description, and I'm going to try to find this. Uh, I've got it. It says, she was very yeah. like Uncle Vernon, large, beefy, and purple-faced. She even had a mustache, though not as bushy as his. In one hand, she held an enormous suitcase, and tucked under the other was an old and evil-tempered bulldog. Yes, that. Yeah, the mu- the mustache part. I know we yeah, talked it's... about we talked about the description so much, but again, what's up with all these ugly, ugly, terrible, gross, huge, masculine, whatever characters? Or now, look at look here. She makes Joe makes um, Aunt Marge a kind of masculine figure with the bigness and the mustache. And then makes makes her evil, as if saying cross gendered people or characters are bad again. She did it with. Lockout, I don't think that's it. No, no. I think that is showing that Marge is more of a. She, she. I mean, she is playing someone on like gender stereotypes, and that the more masculine, more aggressive right. um, personality, because she certainly is more so than definitely Petunia and even um, Vernon. Right. She's playing into a big role in a lot of children's literature books in the UK. Um, you guys have Roald Dahl over there, yeah? Mm-hmm. You yeah. have, like, the witches yeah. and the twits and all of that. Right. Um, so if you think about all of the horrible villains in Roald Dahl, you've got Mrs. Twit, you've got the, the head witch of the witches, you've got the uh, Mrs. Trunchbull um, in, in Matilda. Yeah. And Aunt Marge is definitely that kind of character. She's that kind of grotesque... Um, with a uh, family member who you just you hate because she's always mm. going to be the one that is either you know big sloppy kiss on the cheek or just completely kind of rips you down every single time you see her right it's it's playing into that big kind of difference between but, but what how you see the world as a kid rosie doesn't that doesn't that out. all speak to a larger institution at work that's saying if you're a girl and you want to be liked and you want to be good you should be pretty no. no, because Ver- because Petunia is more petite, feminine, and she's not. She also has a horse face, Caleb. Hermione is never described as pretty before the fourth book, as far as I'm aware. She's described as fairly ugly. She's got big, bushy hair that's uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet she's a character to like. 
All right, I'm just I'm I'm just noting a pattern of different characters that we that Joe definitely wants us to see in a negative light, and she also adds a gender stereotype of some kind to these characters that of the reverse gender. I, solid. Okay, then Umbridge later on, we see a very very feminine evil character who is female and she wears pink all the time and she but has pink is evil. a wall decorated in cats. <laughs> All right, that's no. good. That's 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 a very good point. See, Umbridge, I, yeah. I think what makes her evil out of the description is the fact that she's immediately aligned with Uncle Vernon. I don't think it has anything yeah. to do with her sex. I think it has to do with the <clears> fact <throat> that she looks just like Uncle Vernon. And therefore, we equate the two, and she is evil. They're as bad as each other. Exactly. Yeah. That's true. It also, also has that effect. Marge is worse. I also just realized that, in a way, um, Marge sort of reminds me of Madame Defarge from Mattel Two Cities. Mm. Yeah, I see that. But that's just, I love that book and it just made me think of it anyway. Also kind of in that <laughs> line of characters that Rosie was describing. Right. Yeah. Um, She's definitely a, a, a grotesque caricature character. Right. So um, when they're sitting down for tea, I really love this part. Um, Vernon asks Marge what... Um, the dogs will take and she just says the dog will take some tea out of her saucer and whenever the dog um the dog does start like slurping up the tea and it starts to get on the floor you see petunia react to it not very happy and it describes that petunia is not a fan of marge's dogs well she doesn't like pets in general um and it makes me kind of wonder if maybe petunia and vernon actually have some arguments behind the scenes about you know think that something like this like marge coming over and her dogs all over the place Oh, definitely. I don't think Petunia would approve of Marge at all. Yeah. She's really... Um, but does she just sort of stand it, or does she actually standards. argue with Vernon about it? She'd probably put little digs in after Marge has disappeared. Mm, yeah, she true. seems she, very she much wouldn't... like the passive-aggressive type. Yeah. 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 Mm. <laughs> also, throughout all this, she's probably... Doesn't she, of, of all of them, care a little bit more about Harry and is probably silent to a lot of the stuff that Marge is doing? but is also probably caring in the smallest part a little bit. Yeah, I mean, she deals with a lot of turmoil. I mean, she's like, you know, she has Vernon, and she's also like, you know, she has, has to fill some sort of something for Harry, but she's also still very bitter about everything that Lily got that she did not, so. Right. Mm-hmm. She has a lot to deal with. She needs some counseling. <laughs> but um, Marge goes on and on about, um, how generous the Dursleys were for taking Harry in and how she personally would have just dumped Harry at an orphanage. I'm just wondering, by describing this, does she actually manage to make Petunia and Vernon seem caring because they actually did take Harry in? Or is it just because Marge yes. like gets the benefit of not being blood-related to him and so she can say that as she's far removed? No, Marge is worse than Petunia and Vernon. They are more caring than she is, definitely. Yeah, yep. yeah. Even though Vernon beats Harry. <laughs> Which he doesn't do. <laughs> he totally does. Uh, but no, that's actually Petunia a transition. Does. That takes to the next point because um, Marge asks about St. Brutus's, the, the school that they are telling uh, Marge that Harry is actually attending. And she brings up the topic of whether or not they use the cane at St. Brutus's. And Harry's like, oh yeah, they, they use it a lot. All the time. Loads of All times. the time. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, in the really... movie. That's in the movie canon, guys. But in the yeah. book, it's totally it's different. He actually yeah. says... No, no it's, it's not. in the book, Loads too. It's in the book. Not in my version. Let me... He, I mean, you said, I think it? Noah's trying to say that in the book he says loads of times instead of all the time. Oh, well, that's the same No, thing. he says loads of time in the movie. 
He goes, he oh says yeah, loads, of times, loads of times. Okay. Well, yeah, that's exactly he says, the end of the Listen to this, guys. Uncle, Uncle Vernon nodded curtly behind Aunt Marge's back. Yes, said Harry. Then feeling he might as well do the thing properly, he added, all the time. So it's not okay. as funny as in the movie. Okay, and, and then, no, that's but the point and then it, two paragraphs later, Noah, why don't you read that? Have you been beaten often? Oh yeah, loads of times. The oh. point I was trying to make was that <laughs> it's brought up the expectation that Harry is supposed to be beat. And so it's just another topic and discussion of Harry, you know, being abused in some way. Right. Not necessarily. Yeah, but if Harry had that... actually been beaten by the ver- by Vernon no, or not, the Dursleys, yeah, he I'm wouldn't not... be as blasé. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying necessarily this proves that the Dursleys do. I mean, I think Petunia does in some way, but it's just another mention of this abuse that Harry goes goes through. Well, here's here's another yet another example of the potential beating. I mean, look at page twenty one, uh, Rosie in the British edition. Um, Harry's threatening Vernon. I'll have to make it sound convincing, won't I? What if I accidentally let something slip? What does Vernon say, Rosie? He says you'll get the stuffing knocked out of you, won't you? Roared Uncle Vernon. With his fist raised. Advancing on Harry yeah. with his fist raised. Harry stood his ground. Yeah. But I believe that's a threat that he would not carry through with. I don't think... I think Dursley is full of air. He's full of hot air. He's full of all of this threats and things, but he would never actually... I agree that that's true about Vernon, it. but I think Petunia would beat the crap out of him. I just do. I mean, well, you've been you've been saying that a lot, Kat. You really well. I remember remember the frying pan incident in the chamber. I have always thought that. Always. <laughs> yep. But she also loves him a little bit more, so maybe it's kind of like well, her aggression towards Lily. Sometimes love hurts. So. <laughs> I think that she does it sometimes out of jealousy, very much. Out of jealousy for Lily. I think she would. I think she would deny him food. She would do a lot more kind of emotional torture. I don't think it would ever actually But be she's physical. thrown frying pans at the guy. Oh, guys, Petunia is suddenly evolving into this much more complex character. I never really even <laughs> thought about it. The psychological torment. She's an awful, awful person. She's, no, no, she's, she's misunderstood. She is, that's the point. No, she's heartbroken, and she's so jealous, and I mean... It, but that's not an awful person. She's just misunderstood. She wants somebody to... She wants a shoulder to cry well, on. Well, no, because when something happens to you, you can either lash out at it, or you can accept it and move on and she has chosen to lash out and become an awful person so she's an awful person and yet her 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 very name evokes a flower a flowery beautiful just sort of i think that's just supposed to contrast it lily which is also a flower right whatever guys (laughs) anyway so marge goes on another tear about lily she talks about you know, why it's there's just bad blood if it's in the breed. She t- relates it to dogs, use some colorful language. And then all of a sudden her wine glass shatters. Um, there's not really a full... I mean, you know, it's pretty much intuitive and assumed that Harry is the one that causes this. But there's not as much of an explanation. Um, but Petunia wa- or excuse me, Marge waves it off and says that, you know, this has happened before. So apparently she's been gripping her wine glasses a little too hard. Um <laughs> happened at Fubster's the other day, she said. Uh, Which is the best th- name? I'm just saying. Fubster <laughs> is the coolest name ever. Colonel yeah. Not even just Fubster, but Colonel Fubster. Colonel yeah. Fubster. It's great. Yeah. Um, but then the, it eventually gets to the final dinner, and Harry thinks he has finally made it. Um, it's Marge's last night. They're having dinner. Um, all of a sudden, I noticed, didn't really ever notice this before, but there's a lot of alcohol with the Dursley family, <laughs> and maybe it's just when Marge is there, but it mentions that they open several, several bottles of wine 
And then <laughs> um, Vernon asks Marge if she would like, you know, some of his bottle of brandy. And this is also the scene in the movie where, you know, she keeps wanting... She asks for just a little bit, but really she just wants, you know, a full glass full. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of alcohol going on. Elkies. Yep. <laughs> Totes. Um, she also... So Marge decides to, again, bring up the conversation about, you know... Relating Harry's family to weak dogs. She brings up how she got Colonel Fubster to drown one of her weak dogs, which I just... That's an awful line. Like, as someone who loves yeah, dogs, like, that just yeah. makes me want to cry inside. She's an awful woman, right? Like, yeah. She already is. She's not that bad. Um. <laughs> yeah. She's pretty so, bad. No comment. Um, but then the rant just continues. Of course, she's intoxicated at this point, so she's not going to stop. Um, she goes too far insulting the, the Potters. Um, as Noah brought up, she, Vernon discusses how James was unemployed and Marge makes a remark about that. Um, which, Harry, is, which is interesting because Joe was unemployed. Right. That's true. I, I um, felt like these chapters were intensely like casual vacancy. Or just this one, maybe. Hmm. How, how so? Just because of the political In terms of the political discussion, the the dinner conversations. But I don't think this is something very profound. Like, people who are super judgy like this assume that people who are unemployed are lazy and good for nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I think she sort of characterizes that stereotype. So this, from saying that James was unemployed, Harry explodes because he's had hit the breaking point with the insults. And... Marge then, because then he shouts that they didn't die in a car crash, and Marge remarks that they were probably drunk in the, quote, car crash, which is really ironic, because I'm pretty convinced this part, this point that Marge is an alcoholic. So, yeah. the fact that she's talking about people being drunk in a car crash. And then, Harry really he- hits the, the ceiling, and she starts to explode into a balloon, which is just <laughs> absolutely perfect. Uh, I love everything about this. You know, she, she blows up. Um, I think it describes her fingers like, um, is it salami or something? Salami. Yeah. yeah. Um, such good description. Um, and she, she starts to fly out. Vernon tries to hold on to her. Um, then the dog latches on to Vernon, but of course she goes off. And then Vernon starts screaming at Harry, come back and put her right. But Harry is like, very, he's very angry. This is after he's already gone to get his books and everything, because he knows he's going to have to make a break for it. Um, but instead of shouting back at Vernon, he just very like, I don't even know how to describe how he says this, but very resolved and determined says she deserved it. And he's not in any mood to fight or argue. He just says she deserved it. Pretty much at this point, Harry's a bamf. He's not having any of it. And then he's Lee. He just takes out. Takes off, I should say. Deuces to the Dursleys. No, I have a, I have one last question to that uh, about how that was done. Um, it's been said that that was wa- Harry's wandless magic that was doing that, just his emotion. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. do you guys think it was fully that? Or was it also possibly the magical world reacting to Harry's pain and doing it? Or was it Harry himself? Isn't that one and the same? Is it? It's all Harry being all Gryffindor roller and not having it anymore. Yeah. I totally understand this. I would react the same way as a Gryffindor. I'd want to blow her up too to a balloon. But it wasn't conscious, right? This he did this unconsciously. Right. Yeah, in the same way that, you know, when he was running um from bullies at school, he found himself in the roof. It's the same kind of thing. So here's a more uh, technical question. How is it that his thought or feelings resulted in the exact magic that it did if her Puffing up into a big balloon. 
Because he wanted her gone. Yeah. In some way. So she became a balloon and floated away. She's lucky she didn't blow up completely. Yeah. Oh, my Imagine if that pizza. Oh. <laughs> Just think about what if that would have happened. What if Harry Lick would have killed Mars? Oh, my God. That would have been awful. Do you think that's possible with Wandless Magic? I hope not. I don't know. Harry's a pretty powerful wizard, so. My question just was, how was it a, how did it become a balloon in any case? You know, I want her gone. Did the magical world just hear Harry's cry? And because just she was, she was, I don't she know, was, she was talking nonsense, blowing hot yeah, air. Yeah, like, like I said, with Vernon, she's full of hot air. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Like I was saying, with metaphors, they have a way of doing it. It wasn't this sort of <laughs> metaphoric. This is a metaphor that came true. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But that does not mean that all <laughs> metaphors are literal. True. Right. No. Of course not. In- English major here, guys. I'm, I'm crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. This is totally, well, kind of non sequitur. I remember going to the theater. I don't think I was seeing this movie. I think it was before the movie came out. And my theater had a giant Aunt Marge hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> and it was just Brilliant. amazing. I was like, that is the best promotion for a movie I've ever seen. And <laughs> I want to hang that. Yeah, it just had like Harry Potter year three hanging underneath it. That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. I wanted it so bad, but they said they had to return it to Warner Brothers. Huh. Oh, that Bummer. Bummer. So that wraps up the second chapter of Prisoner of Azkaban. And yeah, it ends on a somewhat of a cliffhanger. We're not used to cliffhangers this early. Um, right. That's true. We aren't. That's true. Right after chapter two. Yeah. But well, she did that in Chamber of Secrets as well. I think I think it's because even though she imagines she's captured re- readers with the first two books, you need to grab them with the first two chapters as well so that they keep uh, so that they keep going. I think this book is quite different in the way it's written. I think there are a lot more cliffhangers at the end of chapters in this book than we've seen before. Definitely. It's, it's quite a different style. Which is why I love it. So thrilling. Yeah. It, it also, maybe maybe this is a this is a huge stretch, but maybe it, it also reflects a kind of hesitancy on her part or her desire to have people reading. So she needs to put that cliffhanger in and make it bigger and bigger so that she won't lose the audience. Almost reflects a fear I on the author's I don't think it's... Side. I think it's just the nature of this plot. I think it's more of a plot. writing skill than a, yeah. than a fear. I don't think it's a fear at all. I think it's the nature of the plot, and I do, yeah, I think it's a lot of her skill. Okay. I, I'm just being, because as a writer myself, I'm also working on a book, and I, I try to, I'm always like like wondering, is, is the reader still with me, or are they kind of bored and annoyed right now? So I sometimes I If you're I worried put, about that, then you should make your book more thrilling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well. <laughs> all right, so let's move on to the special feature this week, which is, of course, Pottermore In-Depth. Well, Harry, the Daily Prophet readers want to hear the in-depth scoop on you. Um, well, I... Uh, Absolutely brilliant. Ignore the quill. Tell me more, Mr. Potter. Um, have you guys gone through Prisoner of Azkaban yet? I have. I haven't. I've been trying to catch up. I haven't. I can honestly say this... I mean, obviously it's nice to have new information, new content, but this is the biggest disappointment of... Pottermore thus far for me. Yeah, I completely agree. There were, I mean, no games, nothing fun. The information that we got was lackluster at best. Some of the chapters only had one or two moments to them when I think everything before this had three. Yeah. Yeah, super. It did seem a bit rushed. It did, didn't it? That's the thing with Pottermore. You got, they they really should be taking their time. They should be like holding out for genius nuggets of information that are, that are newsworthy things to excite the fandom about. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and they they just kind of have to do right by it. But I feel like it's it's being rushed because they want to make sure it stays relevant to, to yeah. big audiences. Well, it's because the it's because they're following along with the show and they want to make sure that they you know stay in line <laughs> with what we're doing. That's well, actually right. <laughs> really actually uncanny how that happens. I right know. <laughs> well, clearly they're following. Potter, more people listen to me. Listen to me. You gotta you gotta get on it. I have nothing more to say. I'm sure that they're going to jump right on that, Noah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, chapter one, there was only one moment in this chapter, as we were just saying. And um, unfortunately, there's nothing of real interest here. I mean, we get to look at Harry's school letter, his letter from Hermione, birthday card from Hagrid, the clipping about the Weasleys um, visiting Egypt. But there was no photo, which I thought was really sad. Like, that was yep. a good opportunity to have a nice moving photo. Mm-hmm. Uh, the letter that Ron sent with it and the short note with the sneakoscope. And that was really it. But to be fair, there wasn't really much in that chapter anyway, so it's okay. Well, that's true. Um, but, you know, it could have been a slightly more interesting, you know. that You could have seen the owls fly in or... Or you could have had more information on, like, international wizardry or something about Egypt. Something, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so wow. then we move on to chapter two, which um, I believe only had one moment as well. Um, and this moment was, it's, it's great. It, uh, shows Vernon with the dog latched onto his leg. And it was actually kind of funny because when you scroll over the, the bulldog, he growls and Vernon, he screams, I'm not a good, I can't do a good Vernon impression. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but the only new information we get in this chapter, which I guess is better than nothing, is about Aunt Marge. And it's really only kind of marginally exciting because we already know most of it. Um, So it goes on to tell us that um, obviously Aunt Marge is not actually Harry's aunt, but he's forced to call her that anyway. Um, We also already knew that she was a bulldog breeder and is a rude woman that clearly enjoys um, when people are, you know, punished or put down. Uh, The only new bit of information that is, you know, is truly new is that she's in love with that neighbor um, called Colonel Fubster, who looks after her dogs when she is away. He will never marry her due to her truly horrible personality. This unrequited passion fuels a lot of her nasty behavior to other people. Oh. No. So it makes me wonder he it's because of her personality, this right. this rudeness that turns him away. Not her looks or anything. So he would consider her if she wasn't such a bad person. Right. But But she becomes more rude because he never shows her any right. love in return. Right. So it's and- like a circle. Right, and I feel like that's kind of a, a running theme. I've noticed when I was thinking about this that there's an, a lot of unrequited love in the series, mm-hmm. like with Snape and Lily and Tonks and Lupin, even though that eventually changes, and now Marge and Fubster. So, like, why... I know that love is a big theme. Do we know if Dumbledore books. and Grindelwald, if Dumbledore's love for Grindelwald was unrequited? Oh, it must have been. I mean... What do you, what do you mean? They weren't, a, weren't they in something of a relationship? It never really says that. We never get any details about it, right. but um, I think it, I think it was meant to be unrequited. Yeah. 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 But mm. do we think that Joe's just trying to show us, you know, all sides of the love spectrum? Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. How powerful it can work in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it definitely motivates different people to do different things. Like Marge becomes an awful, awful witch with a B. <laughs> But she has the sweetness inside her, and she just wants Colonel Fubster's love. Mm, Clearly. Maybe. So it's the denial of love that creates a horrible person in her in her case. Right. And Potentially, it, yeah. And, I mean, it almost does the same things to Tonks, because it sends her into that deep, deep depression. 
And it also does mm-hmm. it to Voldemort. I mean, he claims he never wants it, but his lack of love is what, you know, sort right. of perpetuates But that. then there's... All you need is love. But then there's Snape who, you know, takes that and, yes, is outwardly an awful person, but I feel like it's so still full of good and happy feelings in a way. Right. It's just weird. Constant turmoil. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we also learned that Marge doesn't know Harry is a wizard, which I think we knew, but, and that the Dursleys are terrified that she'd find out the truth. Um, so they allow her misconception of the Potters being two unemployed layabouts who dumped their son and their hardworking relatives um, to avoid her finding out the truth. So I'm curious, what exactly do we think Marge would do if she indeed did find out Harry was a wizard? I don't think she'd believe it. She's too much of kind of who she is to believe in anything as kind of frivolous as magic. Mm. I mean, she yeah. doesn't remember anything that happened, right? No, they they erased no. her memory. Yeah, modified. But if she had remembered, would she believe it? That's what I, that's what I'm asking. Oh, well then, yeah. <laughs> no, so think- she would probably just think it's some like weird medical anomaly. Yeah, she tried to kind of explain it away. Right. And even if she did remember it, she would kind of just like she did with the. She would never go and visit them again. She would avoid it all. Yeah. What do you What do you think? What do you think she and Vernon were like growing up? Oh boy, much like they are now. Yeah, Yeah. not very like close in a way, but it's not like they probably like disliked each other. Just probably. Marge is probably Marge is the older sister, right? Uh, I I believe so. so. Mm -hmm. If that's possible, then maybe Vernon. That really informed who Vernon became. It's possible, although yeah. I don't. I don't see him as as vindictive and awful as Marge. Exactly, he was probably tormented by her growing up and leading to his later anger. Probably depends on their age difference, right? If only Pottermore had brought us that information. Yeah, well, unfortunately, it didn't. <laughs> Slammed. Slammed. Um, but we will be. That said, we love Pottermore, and we'll be doing the uh, analysis mm-hmm. on all the chapters on our show that they give us all the content. I mean, love is a strong word, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love I love Pottermore. I, I love what it represents. I enjoy Pottermore. I just wish it was more. That's all. C- can we say that we love what it represents? This idea of bringing tidbits to the fandom. You, know? you can say that. Okay. <laughs> all right. So the next bit that we see, and I'm going to quote it directly. It says, "When Harry becomes angry with Aunt Marge, who has been insulting his parents and loses control over his magical abilities, she is blown up like a barrage balloon." Two members of the accidental magical or magic reversal squad must be dispatched from the Ministry of Magic to deal with this incident and modify Aunt Marge's memory. From that time forward, the Dursleys do not invite Marge to stay while Harry is in the residence, and he never sees her again. So, I'm curious that, obviously, Harry never sees her again, and he's probably fine with that. Do you think Marge ever asks about Harry again? Like, is he still alive? Is he still being beaten on a regular basis? Probably, very much in passing, since it's, it seems to us, it implies that she visits, you know, while term is going, so, right. and she doesn't remember exactly being blown up to a balloon, so. Maybe they remove Harry entirely from her memory. Hmm, that would be interesting. Ah, uh, hmm. Right, because it's not like he's represented anywhere in their home. Right. Yeah. It's actually very possible. So to her, he just doesn't exist? Yeah. That would actually be smarter, wouldn't it? It would, like, stop triggering as well, if that is actually a problem with magical memories. Right. Yeah. Hmm. No, Noah, are you eating and not talking? No. 
<laughs> you better not be. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. Liar. What were we saying? Yeah, oh that's that's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the last little bit of info we get is um, in the little section that's from JKR. So she says, I regret making Aunt Marge a breeder of bulldogs, as I now know them to be a non-aggressive breed. My sister owns one, and he's the most lovable, affectionate dog you could hope to meet. On the other hand, they do look grumpy, and on appearance alone seem to suit Aunt Marge. So that's fine. That's true. Bulldogs are pretty freaking adorable. I love Uh, bulldogs. (laughs) Yeah, they're adorable. So what type of dog would we see Marge breeding? I say Dobermans. Dobermans. What'd you say, Rosie? I think I said Pitbull, which is a, a violent breed. Oh, See, that is also the same as Bulldogs. I own a Pitbull. Yeah. And is it? Okay. My Pitbull is one of the most loving, adorable dogs ever. Um, yeah. It's just how they're raised, really. Yeah. But I think the, there are lots of cases, in England at least, of kind of Pitbull baiting and things that create kind of animals that are as violent as um, Aunt Marge's dogs. Right would appear so i think that's what she was thinking as caesar milan would say it's the human that makes the dog yeah yeah just definitely so um yeah unfortunately that is literally all of the information we got from pottermore for these two chapters so big old winner yep shortest special feature ever (laughs) but we'll get all that pottermore information next time when there's uh we get to the next chapters that's very true we will All three paragraphs of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone has to be positive throughout all this, and I'm, I've decided I'm going to be. Oh, so. good for you. Good. Yes. Good for you. And that, that, ladies and gentlemen, will get us to the Wait, podcast. Wait, hold on. Can oh. we pause for a second? Noah, did you create this Twitter account called Desk Piglet? He did not. Believe I it didn't. Or not. Wait, there's a Desk Piglet? Really? Yeah, there's an account called Desk Piglet that's following me on Twitter. Yeah, they're on, the, they're, on the for, they're on the forums now, too. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's awesome. What have I spawned? What have I generated? <laughs> looks like they're following all of it. Or they're just following Cat and I, it looks like. Yeah. How many, how many followers does Desk Piglet have? Because we're the only two. Oh, no, they're, we no, they're following everyone. Just kidding. Who are they? How big of a following on Twitter? They are following two people. Oh, no, two people are following them. They are following 34. Okay, Desk Piglet, whoever you are. They're following Did, all the famous people in the Harry Potter fandom. I say that, but uh, like they're following like Pottermore, MuggleNet, things like that. I mean, I was thinking about making a desk big account, but if I did, it would just be the desk big tweeting. Don't. Oh, this is terrible. And we talked. Yeah. We talked about that now. Oink. No. Desk, change me back. <laughs> all right, everybody. Here's the question of the week for this week. Um, as we know. Um, there was some controversy, not controversy, but we were discussing in great detail about how the how the Weasley family went to Egypt for their vacation. They spent their 700 galleons on that. But we had a brief discussion about wizard travel in general. And our question for you all today is, how did the Weasleys get there? How much, how expensive do you think it is to use whatever travel system they used? Um, and, you know, what was it? Was it apparition? Was it flu powder? Are there what inter- do you guys you, think? Wanna, what about international, like guidelines traveling oh true and 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 as to caleb's point there what are the international rules of uh of wizard travel we really haven't touched on it but you know what in any case the 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 question of the week is pretty clear i think you guys have heard it so just leave your responses on the elohomora main page and we'll read your responses on the next episode so that's about it for this episode of elohomora um if you would like to be on the show yourself remember that you can email a clip of yourself to elohomorapodcast at gmail.com 
and you need to have appropriate audio and recording equipment. You can also submit content on the Alohomora website. Absolutely. And make sure you are following us everywhere we are on the web. Twitter, at MN over on Facebook, facebook.com slash open the Dumbledore. To call in, leave us a voicemail, 206-GO-ALBUS. That's 206-462-5287. Our main webpage, alohomora.mugglenet.com. Our email, alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us some comments and feedback because we love to read that from you guys. Yeah, and also, um, I know we brought this up on the last show, but I wanted to remind everybody about our new store. So it's the Alohomora store. It's where you can go and get all sorts of merchandise, like sweatshirts and T-shirts and tank tops and um, iPhone cases and tote bags and water bottles and pretty much anything you dream of, you can have an Alohomora logo on it. Um, we're also going to be putting some new uh, logos up in the future, like Desk Pig merchandise and um, things like that. So be sure to check that out. The link is directly on the alohomora.mugglenet.com page. How do they get the... Um, they can already get the the things like iPhone cases and tote bags? Uh, yep, that they'll be available by the time this episode's released. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's that's great. Yeah. And as always, um, just one more time, I want to mention that we do have an app. It's available in the U.S. for iPhone and Android and the U.K. for iPhone only. Uh, we are working on that for all the people in the UK asking about the Android stuff. So, uh, again, head over to alohomora.mugglenet.com to download that as well. All right. And I believe that's the end of our episode, our first episode of Prisoner of Azkaban. End of 2013. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, happy, happy New Year, everyone. I was just going to say that. Happy, happy New, New Year. Year. <laughs> and I hope it's been, uh, I hope we're all gearing up for an Alohomora-filled next year of 2013 oh it's gonna be a busy year right we are all over the place it's like yeah. four months until we'll be at MistyCon. i know crazy crazy yep. i hope y'all are coming to see us we want to meet you so you should come we do yeah all right Wait. that's it everybody i'm noah freed i'm caleb graves i'm rosie morris and i'm kat miller thank you for listening to episode 20 of alohomora open the dumbledore There's a dog outside my window. I hate that I dog. hear it. It's probably Sirius Black, so... Whoa. Sure. <laughs> I'll start singing Taylor Swift or something. Well, John likes heavy rocks. So let's find a... I cannot sing that. Oh. But you can do a Gollum voice. You should be able to sing it. Uh, Wait, do a Taylor Swift song in a Gollum voice. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> that would end up at the end of the episode. You know it. Um... I'm trying to think. I was thinking. I was singing Taylor Swift to my buddy last night. Why? Why not? Is there something you need to tell us, Noah? That I'm a Tweet T Swizzy fan? No. Wait, T Swizzy. Oh, the fact that you. I don't think that's what her fans call her, but. Um, <laughs> that's what. What's that's what my. You said you me. were singing Taylor Swift to your buddy. Is that what you said? I did say that. I mean, it was after. 
You know, it was after the bar, but I did do it. Well, you know what? Never mind. We're not going to go there.